You are listening to a Strange and Beautiful Network Classics Collection episode. This episode was originally released under our parent podcast, Strange and Beautiful Book Club. I hope you're not still thinking Stanton. Because I checked him out. The guy is squeaky clean. So he paid someone else to do it. Nick, you are spinning your wheels. Unless you know something you're not telling me. And you would never hold on your partner, would you? Especially if you have the inside track on a murder suspect. I'll fill you in when I'm sure. Nick! Nick, come on, we're partners, remember? Apparently not. All right. Bum, 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 bum. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode, a Forever Night episode. Season 2, Episode 5, Forward into the Past. It's what? like the opposite of Back to the Future. <laughs> it's exactly the opposite of Back Thank you. Wow, okay. I was just about to say, what do we think this title means? But you know what? I think we're just, that's, it's fine. It's good. Just full stop. It's the opposite of Back to the Future. You're, You're welcome. welcome. <laughs> Matt finger gunned me. And since we have forgotten this the last like two times, and clearly I cannot be trusted with season two episodes to not just leap into discussing them. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. put it in a really weird spot last time and I ended up putting it right before I begged everybody for five star reviews please give us five stars <laughs> so um I just thought I'd go ahead and throw that in there now yeah, so this is habit. our fifth episode of season two how are you personally feeling about season two at this point I feel like it's moving slower but I think that's only because we've been watching the episodes slower because the last three months have been crazy. Yeah, I mean, define moving slower because there's not a continuous plot line. Oh, uh, just moving through the episodes. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. We're, we're When we started season one, we were loosey-goosey with the schedule. And now we're pretty much one a week. So we're a little bit more consistent. We watch one, we record one. We watch one, we record one every week. So you're on a week-to-week schedule. Like you would have been if it was airing. Hey. Which. It's almost like it's on purpose. The Writers Guild just went on strike again. I saw. Did you see that? And they're being super transparent. The one of the guys. um, He did a bunch of short videos about like Adam explains it or whatever. He is the one in charge of writing these like writer's demands. Mm-hmm. And so he published those and then he published the response. I think the only reason it wasn't transparent before was because it was 2008. Right. And was... there just wasn't the mech, there wasn't the infrastructure there. Um, to be clear, I'm on the side of anybody who believes that they are not 
being respected properly in their job. So I'm mad that TV comes to a halt because I remember what 2008 was like. But I'm not a writer and I can't really, I can't pick a side here. Does that make sense? I'm on the side of anybody who has to actually like work five days a week. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's, yeah. that's fair. And I do think that a direct result of the changes in 2008 is the quality of TV we have now. The massive improvement? Yeah. The so, exponential progression in the production quality of television shows now? Yes, though that right there. That's what that, you're talking about? Yeah, that right there. Yeah. So just like a little PSA, the Writers Guild is on strike, you guys. So that's something to watch. Luckily, that doesn't affect us because our show's been dead for 30 years. <laughs> like my childhood dog. <laughs> <laughs> what? Ooh. Sorry. That just, you know, sometimes things pop into your head and then they pop out your mouth and then here we are. Like I don't audit the, edit this and get Welcome to my out. life. <laughs> filter? Fuck filters. I haven't changed the filter in years. I just took it out to ease the flow because <laughs> it kept getting clogged up. My filter's worn off. I take it first thing in the morning. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's done around like six o'clock. Yeah. And we record these pretty late, which is why every once in a while you can hear us going into a yawn when we're talking. <laughs> and I can't really cut it out because, you know, I can cut the yawn out, but I can't cut out the like lead up where we're doing the. This. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So back to Forever Night, I guess, since we've given our little, our little spiel there. We are. What do we what do we think maybe forward into the past? Just the past affecting the future, the things that happen in the past changing what happens now for the episode title forward into the past. Uh, <clears throat> okay, okay, just... hold on, hold on. No, <laughs> oh, I have, oh, okay, I have okay. something to say. I was just I giving say. a long enough pause for you to be able to recognize where it is and cut it out. Gotcha. Before I started talking. Okay, one of the aspects of narrative that makes it distinct from reality is that one well i guess one thing about narrative is like the romantic ro romantic like philosophy ideas yeah. of like the universe arranges things to happen yeah yeah like the lovers end up together serendipitously at the end right, right? But another big aspect of narrative, as different from reality, is that the end goal or the end state kind of drives what happens earlier in the narrative. Yeah. And so forward into the past makes sense from the perspective of like a philosophical perspective on narrative all right where you you have the the end cause causing the plot to happen gotcha well thank you for that because that's about as deep as this episode's gonna get because that's as deep as this episode is really yeah not super no complex no but good there's I... a couple notable things in here but well i mean we'll get to them but we start with the warehouse exterior the one, the only. The one, the only. The fucking nailed it! Never have to film it again. Warehouse exterior. They got so many shots. They were like, dad, 
damn, we get to this use it again. This warehouse building Woo! is the only one they ever need. You know what? Maybe it actually is. So they broke up the porn ring that was getting filmed there. So somebody else moved in, right? It's and been long enough. Then it, then it was a flower place. And... Uh, that got broken into and somebody got killed. Well, somebody got beat up there and somebody almost got killed there. So they moved out and now it's a torture palace. I don't know what you want to call this, but we go, <laughs> we go into the warehouse and I just love these opening scenes where they're like, no context, all drama. It's like, this, this scene had like huge anime vibes. Oh, it was like a cigarette. A cigarette getting stubbed out, <laughs> sunglasses, a bound woman, a rack of torture implements, eyes closed as he pulls off his sunglasses, then slowly open. And then he says, where is Catherine? And we hear out from warehouse exterior, a woman scream and then, but um, <laughs> we just cut to the intro. It was so the I've most. I've been reading this book okay. called The City in the City, and it's like. Super like noir detective mystery. Hot, so hard boiled the pot what? burned that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so this reminded me of the feel <laughs> of reading this yes. like really, and <laughs> really love... heavy handed noir like aesthetic. Yes. I love the evolution of this hitman. Right. Because right near <laughs> right now he's like, oh, God, he's so scary. Oh, look at his look at his torture implements. Oh, my God. Look, he has, he like fondles two spreaders. That's the only thing. The things that they use when they like are doing an autopsy. Right. The surgical you, implements. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's what he's like. No knives, notably. Just like a thing that looks like a back back scratcher which is like a spreader and then another type of spreader it's just like oh okay um, and then a dull scalpel yeah oh okay and so he's our bad guy right and he's like oh it's so scary but as time goes on this guy gets significantly less scary every time we have to interact with him but in, in this moment he's, he's fairly terrified this is pretty you know okay something is happening here if I didn't remember that this was the warehouse exterior, I would have immediately been in it. But just the fact that this is reused footage right. always is like, <laughs> again. Okay. But we cut to the warehouse and they found the woman. And they're wheeling her out on this stretcher. And Nick is like, oh, do we have an identification yet? And Skanky's like, nah. And he pulls the sheet back. And then Nick just. And then stares at her for like five minutes straight. <laughs> yeah, Nick straight. just. Stairs. He has to main, maintain eye contact with everything, okay? Even dead bodies. So he stares at this woman. And well, it, hold on. Technically, Nick is a dead body. That's, I mean. So is he really maintaining eye contact with everything? Or is he, does he perceive himself as an object and thus personify all other objects that also need to be treated as what he himself perceives you know what? You put a plate on the table. <laughs> we put some stuff on that plate, and now we're all just going to look at it, and then we're going to move on, okay? <laughs> all right. <laughs> anyway, continue. All right. So Nick recognizes this woman because it throws him into a flashback, and it is a woman banging on a garage door, screaming the name Catherine, and there is smoke coming out from underneath this door, and Nick runs up to help, and he ends up lifting the garage door while maintaining eye contact with the woman outside. Well, the problem is that he's pulling straight up on the door. Yeah. Like, 
I guess, modern U.S. garage doors. But it's a kind of flip and fold up door that you need to pull out. Right, but the point If he'd just here, been pulling out, no. he would not have had to resort to vampire The guy strength. cut the counterweight, remember? Even so. It's a heavy-ass door. Uh, anyway, the point is he maintains eye contact again with this woman who is outside the garage door. And he does, like, vampires where his eyes glow. And this is the one whenever I mention that sometimes his contacts will go adrift. <laughs> this yes. is definitely one of those moments. Yes, his right contact <laughs> is a little low. Yeah. Also, GWD in a sweater vest. And... He kept his mouth closed. He did. He did. But they were like, why do we need to leave the vests in the present when we can also wear them in the past? And they were oh. like, oh, man, like a vest that's going to... They're like, no, no, no. Hear me out. Sweater vests. Grandpa-ass sweater vests. He this needs is the to, 1950s. Maybe he's aging himself up because he's known these people for a while. He never intended to interact with them physically again. He got a call. He had to show up. And now he's here with this woman who thinks he's older than he really is. So maybe he's aging himself up. And his answer to that solution, to that question, his solution to that question, oh, anyway, is sweater vests. How, how much of that wine have I don't want had? to talk about it. Is sweater vests. Okay. Just I'm going to put that out there. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to, you know what? Matt has a plate. I have a plate. I'm going to put sweater vests on mine. Matt put high-level philosophy on his, to each their own. But Skanky picks up on this because um, Skanky's not an idiot, and Nick has just been staring at this lady with this look on his face, and he's like, um, do you know her? And Nick's like, no. No, no I don't even no. know why you'd ask that. It's weird. That's ridiculous. Nope. Sorry, I just... Mm. No, nope. yeah. mm -hmm. cover back up. Yep. And so then we cut to Natalie, and Natalie is recording what she's going to write down for her autopsy report. Yeah, and little... Nick comes in, and he's like... Holy shit, Natalie, I knew her. Yeah. She comes Way in. Bad. She's like, sorry, had to start the party without you. And it's probably like, cool, I didn't want to watch my friend get cut open, so it's fine. And she's like, well, do we know who she is? I and know. I absolutely know who she is. Yeah. Nick's like, well, well they we don't. Were, but, we were friends. But I do. Um, they weren't friends. She was the help. <laughs> she was the help. Oh, Nick was friends with her. No, because she figures out what he is, and he doesn't leave her with that knowledge. Oh, that's right. He makes Madeline forget. He makes Madeline yeah. forget. And his friend, who he could very easily have just been like, oh, it was stressful. She's a little crazy. She's like, he's like, you know what? Actually, you didn't figure it out. Your friend figured it out. But I'm going to make your friend forget, and I'm going to tell you all about it. Because she's the help, and you're my friend. But that's later. So he tells us that this is Madeline Pinchot. And he knew them. A long time ago, her and her friend, Catherine Barrington. She was Catherine Barrington's secretary. And they m disappeared mysteriously back in the 50s. And Natalie's oh. like, well, how did they disappear? And he goes, they had some help from an expert. <laughs> me. They had some help from me. I um, gave a referral. Also, Skanky shows up and Skanky gets this line that's like, oh, am I interrupting? Well, good, because heaven forbid you could tell me where you went like I'm your fucking partner or anything. Am I interrupting something? Good. God forbid you should let me know where you're going. People might actually start to think we're partners. Missing persons received a report about a woman that matches our mystery guest. 
That's bougie. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. And it's a little weird because if we have a skanky subplot at all here, it's that he's a little bit salty that about he keeps Nick left out. being Nick. And it seems a little strange because I was like, oh, maybe Partners of the Month is the next episode because Partners of the Month is one where he kind of confronts Nick about how much of an asshole Nick is sometimes to him. And it's not. It's a ways away. And it feels a little weird. I know we're watching them in production order, but script wise, I feel like Partners of the Month would fit better right after this. Because we're going to go back to, to resolve that conflict. Yeah, to resolve Skanky's this inters- weird tension that we're introducing. Although, really, it's going to ramp up over the next series of episodes. So maybe not so much. Um, anyway, just something to keep an eye on because we've been pretty chummy. He's been pretty, oh, Nick, he's just weird, whatever. But maybe because last episode, someone got killed because Nick wasn't forthcoming about information. Skanky's feeling a little extra salty. And we definitely get it in this scene. And we also get another clip of flashback. And I wanted to point out this flashback because, notably, this is the first time, this is the first time we get a flashback with exposition over top. So normally we just cut to the flashback. We don't get any explanation. Nick just looks over into the left-hand corner where memory lives and then he just starts remembering whatever but he actually introduces it with a bit of story and so he's talking over the first few minutes of the flashback is this because he's explaining it to natalie i think it's because he's explaining to natalie and i also think it's because as you may have noticed we use flashback far differently in season two than we did in season one so i had not noticed so in season one the flashbacks are marginally related so like in false witness his memory is of him in a trial and he's also in a trial so that's kind of how they're related but not really any other way and then we get that one weird one in dead air which i think we could all just wish never had happened which was the lacroix killing his father in effigy one and even in 1966 which is more flashback than modern day storyline What the hell did saving people from West Germany have to do, or East Germany, have to do with getting people out of the precinct from a crazy gunman? It's a very loose analogy. It's it's only that he used the same language, really. I mean, it's not really. But if you noticed, in Killer Instinct, the flashback was about how Lacroix taught him to locate other vampires, which directly related to what was going on in the episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the next episode was A Fate Worse Than Death. And it was Jeanette's flashback, which directly related to what was happening in the episode. And then we had Stranger Than Fiction, which didn't really have a flashback. And then we had Bad Blood, where the flashback was literally about what was happening in modern times. It was about when Jack the Ripper was created. And this was when Jack the Ripper came to kill people in Toronto. I'm starting to pick up a pattern. You see, yeah. So, and then this episode, again, we're literally directly, it's apples to apples. Instead of, um, they're both in the fruit aisle. (laughs) Kind of. Sometimes they're vegetables, but they got shelled with fruit. It's more of like, we are using the flashback as a direct means of informing what's happening in the present. 
Does that make sense? Of actually enhancing the plot? Yeah. Yeah. They actually like, we already had this flashback mechanism, which was working, but we are exploring it on a much deeper level. So instead of it feeling like an A plot and a B plot, they sort of feel like they move together. And I think this is our, this is our first one where it's so obvious because we have to know the backstory when it starts. Or the flashback doesn't make sense. And so we end up framing it as him telling Natalie about this flashback. And that gets us into it. He's like, I had a friend. We were friends around the war. It was the mid 50s. She decided to she called me and said it was an emergency. And even though like we hadn't seen each other in years, I ran to her to try to help her out. And he has his little piece of a photo which has her and her husband, Gordon, in it, Catherine and Gordon. And he shows up at the door, and Madeline initially won't let him in because Catherine's busy, but he hands her the photo, and she comes back out, and she has the remaining bit of photo, and it has Nick in it. And we find out that Gordon was murdered. Oh, he died. That he died. He died. He died. And Catherine is broken up, and she's glad Nicholas is there to help her out. He was the only one she could think of who could help her, who could... Be the shoulder to cry on and maybe make out with a little bit. And he answered the call of duty. I love how she's like, oh, how was the trip? And he's like, meh, uneventful. This is the 50s. He did not have a full overnight trip here. Did he ship himself? Uh, He flew. (laughs) Overnight. (laughs) Again, that doesn't. He can't. Okay. You know what? We're not we going to have what? We can't have the how long does it take for a vampire to fly <laughs> over the Ocean discussion. Where was I think he was in London. I, well, he doesn't say where he was actually. It just says he traveled there. So I don't know, maybe he was like next door and he was just like, "Whoa, it took me all night to get here. Like I haven't been stalking you or whatever." <laughs> but then we come back to the present cuz we find out that um they have figured out who Madeline is and they figured out where she was living and she wasn't Madeline she was living under an assumed name and she was Madame Miss, oh Madame Madame yeah. Natasha a psychic over like a grocery store or something or fabric store actually it's over a fabric store i love it when they drive up to these cool little these cool little stores in Toronto that you know are no longer exist. And they go upstairs and they walk in and this lady's like, it's not a poltergeist if that's what you're thinking. But this is Ava and Ava is Madame Natasha's. You know what she calls herself? I looked it up because I saw it and I thought, wow, what is that? An amuensis. Yeah. Which is like a, a creative secretary, like a, Someone who helps an artist sketch or someone who does diction for an author. Someone who assists in an artistic capacity. Which I thought was really interesting. I'd never heard that word before. So there's your SAT. But she's psychic. And I love how um, Nick is immediately like, oh, psychics. And Skanky's like, oh, God, this again. If you ask me, this Ava lady is one piece of lamb short of a souvlaki. If you get my drift, haven't you heard Skank? We must remain open to possibilities. Yeah, right. Well, my grandmother and her cronies used to do this table levitating thing, asking famous dead people skill-testing questions. Give me a break. We've been through this. And Nick's it was like, like, ooh, psychic. I know. It was very, very real last time. You'd think Nick would have learned his lesson. You know what? He doesn't. He does. He asks her to, like, look into the whatever ether while he's standing mm-hmm. next to her. Like he didn't learn from the last time. Right. That he's a... 
like psychic radar jamming instrument. Yeah. Whatever. Um, they just ask her some standard questions. This whole episode is like the space between when Nick gets to talk about Catherine. <laughs> so, I mean, he doesn't really, he's here for this kind of. They search the apartment. They like paw through stuff. And Skanky's like, guess we better get forensics here. And Matt literally said, is that before or after Nick paws through all the evidence? Because Nick is just like shuffling stuff around in the drawer. Whatever. And then Ava tells them that... Um, Madame Natasha had had a run-in with a man, and they had argued. And Skanky's like, can you describe him? And she goes, he had a powerful aura. <laughs> 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 and Nick, Nick and Skanky are both like, oh, okay, great. And so Skanky says, um, can you give us something we can like work on like work with maybe and she's like i don't know he was my, old. my third eye is not working so great lately. yeah it's rusty nick nick's worn me out sorry <laughs> and she's like i don't know he was like old six feet tall whatever old Broad dude shoulders. i don't know whatever and Nick is like, oh, I know someone who's six foot tall with broad shoulders. I know, <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly who this is. And so then we go to a flashback and we learn about the existence of one Jeremy Stanton. And that is the apparently only tall, six broad foot tall, broad shouldered man of Nick's acquaintance. Even though he's wearing shoulder pads this entire episode. So one could argue he is also a six foot tall broad-shouldered, old dude, whatever, with a powerful aura, but it's okay. Um, also, LaCroix fits this description, so it could have been LaCroix. I mean, we have a lot. LaCroix's not in this episode. That's a good point. Yeah, he's not. Um, but we're in the flashback, and it's Gordon's Maybe funeral. Maybe traveling. Maybe. He was like, you know what? Hard pass. I'm good. What am I going to do? Chum with the old lady? It's fine. So they end up in the past and they're on like they have like a receiving line for the funeral and so everybody's leaving and jeremy stanton is like yeah so sorry to hear about gordon but um when are you gonna come so we can like figure out stuff with the business like we need to go ahead and vote we need to get you off of the board we need to like so you can properly mourn and you know whatever and this is our first real introduction to my new petty queen icon Catherine Barringer. <laughs> Barrington. Barrington. Sorry, Barrington. Because up until this point, we kind of knew she was his friend, but we didn't know she owned the controlling 51% stake in Barrington Stat or Stanton Barrington Industries. <laughs> and Jeremy Stanton owns the other 49%, or he's on the board. And just going to leave that there because we grow this plot line to its true petty, petty fruition. Right. And I love how it ends. I don't care about the business. Yeah, I never gave a shit. It's fine. <laughs> We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Because Ava sees, she she tries to like psychically figure out where, uh, whatever's happening. And she sees people dancing. She hears music. She sees a ball spinning. And they're like, meh. Whatever. It's no, this is no lead. Although it wouldn't take a great stretch of imagination to be like, is that a disco ball? Is it a disco ball that's spinning? But you know what? They'd have to believe no, it, it's her just first. just to lay enough hints for Nick. Yeah. The, the only reason we say this at all is so Nick gets the line about skanky. We have to stay open to possibilities. Because is Nick ever going to push the boundary of what he can get skanky to do without explaining shit? 
how else does he keep himself entertained? I know. He really he really toes quite the line this episode. Because he finds he finds another half of a picture. And this one has an older woman in the Tucked picture. Under a lamp, right? Yeah. And so he <sighs> see that's a classic example. So he takes the picture and he just like stuffs it in his pocket and Skanky's like, Oh, do you find something there? And he's like, Nope. Nothing. 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 <laughs> And then we go back to the precinct, and he has the picture, and he just has it out in front of Skanky. Right, and then he he hands it over to another cop. Yeah, he hands it over to this other cop who's getting one of those little water cups that used to look like an ice cream cone. He's over at the water thing, the paper cup. And Nick is like, hey, can you take this down and have this blown up as big as you can blow it up without losing any definition? Right, Skanky's standing right there. He doesn't explain anything. He doesn't tell it. And Skanky knows, just don't ask. Just don't ask. But also on Nick's desk is a picture of Jeremy Stanton on the cover of like Fortune 500, whatever. We think it's a cover. This is actually just a single sheet of paper with like a colored photo on top of it. And we pass it back and forth several times. And it's like, do you have a color copy of the front of this magazine? Or am I supposed to believe this is a magazine? Because he's got Jeremy Stanton, a picture of Jeremy Stanton on his desk. Sorry, that's my favorite part. And he's like, Skanky's like, oh, it's, yeah, Jeremy Stanton, huh? You keeping up with your business news? And Nick is like, nope. Just don't ask. Just don't, no, no. He goes, Jeremy Stanton is guilty of Madeline Pinchot's murder. <laughs> and Skanky, go, Skanky goes, I'm sorry, what the fuck? <laughs> goes he goes whoop he literally turns and says hold on a second okay i thought i just heard you say that jeremy stanton killed this lady he's like you might as well accuse the the uh royal family and (laughs) nick goes what would i accuse them of and he's like uh gene pool misuse i don't know (laughs) he's like what what are you talking about and this is notable because there's literally no evidence tying jeremy's zero evidence nothing and you know what we're never gonna get evidence tying jeremy's stand to this all we ever get is the confession (laughs) when nick catches him to tell you this but jerry stanton is very politically connected i mean he's got big bucks big muscle he sprinkles guys like us over his breakfast granola for crying out loud like i said skank i still think yeah 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 yeah. we should remain open to all the possibilities right well what could jeremy stanton possibly have to do with this i know jeremy stanton killed madame natasha hello what oh man oh man if you can make that stick i will build you a shrine we're partners right so from skanky's perspective this woman gets tortured and killed. Skanky's outrage is completely justified. Right, because from Skanky's perspective, this woman gets tortured and killed. They go to just routine look around, see if anything's happening in her house. They meet a crazy psychic lady who says she met a six-foot-tall, broad-shouldered dude. They go back to the precinct, and Nick is like, I know who it is. <laughs> I know who it is. It's Elon Musk. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and Skanky's like, what? what? I'm sorry. Are you dragging me down with you on this? Because this is a career-ending bullshit move, my friend. <laughs> I just read a story about this lady who resigned from, I think, school board because somebody had been like catfishing her for like four months that they were Elon Musk. 
and they got a hundred thousand dollars out of her. Holy shit! So she resigned. Wow. Okay. So sometimes it is Elon Musk. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so Skanky brings over a stack of records, and it's printed on this, the paper that used to have the like holes along the side where it was all connected in perforated lines. Yeah, because the holes yeah. guided it through We the had printer. a giant box of this, and it was kid drawing paper for days. That's uh, because my uncle had one of those printers yeah. and boxes of the paper. But he throws down like a inch thick stack of papers, and he's like, you know what these are? These are actual records about Madeline's life. I know where she was born. I know where she went to school. I know how many cookies she sold as a girl guide. This is actual evidence. Nick, look at me. Look me in the eye. Look at me. Are you listening? This is real. The Jeremy Stanton thing is not real. And he's like, this is where we're going to solve the case by going through her past, figuring out people she's connected with, because odds are she was killed by someone she knows. And odds are she doesn't fucking know Elon Musk. Okay. And Nick is like, Right, well, can you look into Jeremy Stanton while you're at it? And he, <laughs> he, he hands the picture to Skanky, and Skanky just tosses the picture back on his desk like, I'm not doing your fucking dirty work. Do it yourself. And Nick is like, okay. <laughs> so in response, he goes into another flashback. And this is one where he's talking to Catherine. And she's like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to run a business. I just, Gordon left me this 51% stake in this huge company that makes loads of money. And I just don't know what to do with it. And Nick is like, well, don't do anything. Let Stanton run the business. Just vote when you want to vote. Yeah, just vote by proxy. Yeah. Just send it from well, somewhere else. Well, he doesn't else. say anything about proxy yet because she's not oh, on the run later. yet. Yeah, okay. he's like, just let her just let him run it and you just like show up and give your opinion or whatever, man. Don't worry about it. And she's like, hmm. So here's where the wheels start spinning about how she can fuck with Jeremy for the next 45 years. <laughs> and we also walk past the car. The car. The car. So this is in Auburn. And I looked it up because I was like, maybe I can get the year this is happening from the year of the car that Gordon bought her because Gordon bought her this car. But when Skanky finds the car later, it's a 1936 Auburn. And Auburns were only manufactured for like 12 years. And in the 12 years that they were being manufactured, only like 890 were made. So it's a rare car. So it's a rare car. So 1936, it, she, he bought her a collector's car, which was a collector's car at the time because they weren't making them anymore. And I, ironically, the designer of this car's name was Gordon. And the last time one of these came up and sold in auction, it sold for $1.2 million. Can I leave everybody with that wow. for a minute? Yeah. Do you, Of course, they didn't actually know. Could they have had one on set? They must not have had one on set. There's absolutely no way they had an Auburn. They must have just, because you never see the full. No, you do. You do. Yeah. Maybe they just changed out the hood ornament. <laughs> oh, just put a different hood <laughs> ornament on. Yeah. Like a Rolls they were Royce like, or something. No one's gonna know. Like a Rolls Royce because it's cheaper than the Auburn. Yeah. Yeah. But you just go rent one for a yeah. day. But they were like posh, like hella posh. So that's why she's got one and it's notable. And it's also supposed to be like, she's rich. Look like, how rich she is. Like 
have your own island rich, not big house rich. Yeah. And we get kind of a poignant moment where she's talking about how when they were in the war and he was flying, every time he went out for a mission, she was prepared to lose him. But that time had passed, and she was never expecting that to happen again. She had stopped bracing herself yeah, she had for stopped, the expectation of loss. Yeah, expecting him to not come home. And now he wasn't ever going to come home again. And that's because Jeremy Stanton Jeremy killed Jeremy Stanton did it. Yeah. After Nick cuddles her, he, like, beckahugs her. And she's like, thanks, Nick. I just want you to know Jeremy killed Gordon. And he's like, (gasps) I feel like definitely some of these moments need the like Spanish soap opera where we like turn and do the (gasps) gasp to camera. Mm -hmm. This would be one of those moments. So in the past, Nick goes to the police station because we have this little thing where Cohen comes out to talk to Nick and he's like, yeah, yeah, we're working on the case. I actually already know who did it, but we're kind of working on it anyway. It's like a whole work in progress thing. And she's like, well, the clock isn't working. Can you talk to maintenance about it? I don't think that clock has ever worked. Flashback. We'll be flashback. To the clock yeah, being fixed. To the clock getting worked on. but Or uh, maybe installed in the first place. Yeah, but way, 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 way back. Because now it's like... She told Nick that, and he did the sensible thing, which is he went to the police to talk to them about the fact that Gordon was murdered. And they're like, yeah, we don't fucking care. <laughs> like, I, I hear what you're saying, but you sound yeah, British, so I'm pretty sure we don't care. Grieving widows make Blah. up crazy stories. You assume that her husband's death was not an accident. Yeah, well, grief does funny things to a widow's imagination. Barrington died in a car accident. I assume you know that he rarely drove his own car himself. He had a regular driver. Too bad. He could have used the practice. Yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. He didn't do it. Um, he's a rich guy. We're not going after him. Oh, and he also thinks he was murdered, so he can't have killed him if he thinks he was killed. Pfft, duh. If he was innocent, he'd be, or if he was guilty, he'd be all, no, he died in a car accident. And Nick is like, well... Why was Jer- Why was Gordon driving if he had a driver? And the police officer goes, guess he needed more practice. <laughs> That's why he got in a car accident, because he always says a driver. Really, it's an unproductive conversation. We'll just leave it at that. And maybe that's why Nick goes into the police force, because he goes into the police force around 1960-ish. I thought he'd only been a police officer for a few years. He'd only been a police officer here for three years. Oh, Yep. Also, one should note that during World War II, around the time that he was befriending his friend Catherine and Gordon, he was also wrestling with the fact that LaCroix turned a little child into a vampire. Because remember, Daniel got turned into a vampire during World War II. That's true. Nick had an eventful, like, he raised a child. LaCroix killed the child. (laughs) LaCroix (laughs) bought the child back. He got some friends. The friends moved away. One of the friends died. And now it's all come back to haunt him. But not Daniel. That we're ne- That's gone. We're never going to. Sorry. At least there's one little bit of trauma in Nick's life that LaCroix is not the cause of. Yeah. I also want to know, are the blinds in the police office, in the police station from 1950-ish, period? Did we have these vinyl blinds in 1950? The, the modern. Yeah. Or were they just like. Blinds. Look, if we just put a filter over this whole thing, make it look a slightly different color, 
It'll be fine. No one's going to notice the blinds. They'll be too blinded by bum, bum, bum. by Garrett Wynn Davies's mustache. <laughs> <laughs> and sweater vest combo. <laughs> sweater vest suit jacket combo. You know what? I noticed I've actually been taking fewer notes about Nick's outfits. And I think I have to like mentally block out so many of his outfits because they're either real, real good or real, real not. And so it's easier just to take the middle road and not looking at them because we missed a tie in the last episode. Nick wore a tie. Nick wore a tie and we did not spot it. And the only explanation I can have for this is I'm blinded by all the vests and all the buttons because it's not just like vests light. It's like. The back of a corset level number of buttons on his vests. Yeah. Thank you, Maria, for pointing out that we missed the tie. The tie. So then we go back to Madame Natasha's. And we're outside Madame Natasha's because we have once again visited our our Canadian <laughs> hitman who is outside with a garrote. And I feel like a garrote, you have to snap it a couple of times or it doesn't work. You, you have to make to sure it. it's not tangled. Yeah. It's like when you bolt something down to a trailer, you have to snap. You have to twang it. Yeah. You have to snap the rope and, and say, go. that's not going anywhere. Absolutely. If you don't do that. It's magic. It's just going to fucking fly off. Yeah. It's it, like. It finishes the spell. Exactly. You have to do that. You went the garrote, you have to snap it a couple of times. And after all that, she's not even killed by strangling. She's killed with a gun. Ava dies. Sorry. Spoiler alert. Ava dies. And she gets killed like executioner style. Gets shot in the back of the head. Not with the garrote. And then we get Unless our... Unless he's really good. <laughs> with the garrote. What? <laughs> you know, okay. I feel like I've said this to you several times this episode already, but we're not going to talk about that, okay? <laughs> I don't even want to know how you could mimic a execution-style gunshot with a wire and two pieces of wood. We're not professionals, honey. That's true. We're also not Canadian hitmen who knows what they're capable of. We're not privy to those kind of industry secrets. I know. Sorry. And then we get our obligatory raven visit. Is it an episode if we don't go see Jeanette? And we get like side of Miklos for like five seconds. And then we pan past him because Nick comes in. He just walks up to the first person. He's like, where's Jeanette? And they just tell him. I guess he's a familiar face. Yeah. Because they're like, meh, she's in the back. Jeanette's probably like, if you see Nicola, tell him where I am. Yeah, and I want to know what Jeanette's flashback is that she's having right now because we go in the back and she's oh, just, she's just staring. She's at this holding bottle. this bottle and she's just staring at it, and we don't know how long she's been staring at it. She's just been holding it, and he comes in and he's like, "Hey, um, sup?" And she's like, "Oh, hi, Nicholas, a uh, Nicola. I was just thinking about opening one of my finest vintages. Would you like to share it with me?" And he's like, mm, "Right, you mean human?" And she's like, yeah, what is it going to be? What else is it going to be? Sheep? <laughs> and he's like, hard pass. Where's I was just about to indulge in one of my finest vintages. Care to join me? Finest vintages, meaning human? What do you think, darling? I'll pass. Always so politically correct. 
And Matt goes, what if it's humanely harvested? <laughs> humanely harvested human hemoglobin. <laughs> Certified humane. <laughs> right? I feel like if Jeanette has a regular supply of blood to right. fill these bottles with, it's probably like collected from humans like a little bit at a time periodically in a way that doesn't kill the humans. Right. Well, but okay. kind of going that route then removes the, the conflict of existence of the vampire. I have some additional information concerning this, but since it's a season three episode, I'm not going to talk about it, but remember they're, Part of how they experience life is through blood. So if you mix a bunch of different people's blood. Who says it has to be different people's blood in the bottles? Hmm. You could have one donor. Like yeah. one session could be one bottle. One session. One donation. I, I go to the Red Cross. I'm sorry. Why is that a wine bottle? You're like, no, <laughs> don't. <laughs> Sorry, I've, I've ran, never I've never had that tube go into green glass before. Ran out of ran out of bags. It's the weirdest thing. We had a bunch of these in the back. Everyone's donating in them into them today. Don't don't. You know what? Here's a hundred bucks. Here you go. <laughs> don't talk about it. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think the vampires have found a way to exist in modern times in a way that doesn't get them caught, but that nicks chief objection it isn't i can't drink from human i can't drink this human because he died it's i can't drink human at all because where is the line so he's the vegan of vampires he is a vegan which is why everybody rolls their eyes every time he walks in a room like how do you know somebody's vegan don't worry they'll tell you <laughs> that's exactly what it is. that's why they're always like oh hi nick don't worry, we brought the blood for you because you can't have the blood everybody else is drinking. Yes, he's a vampire <laughs> vegan. That's exactly that's exactly what it is. Because I'm sure at this point, because there's no real limitation on blood, it just has to be blood, that they don't have to die for it or anything. Although we do find out there is a certain amount of um, savor. There's an additional benefit to blood taken. Well, of course. To the point of death, but it's not necessary. And considering there are, a, there is a population of vampires that all live at the Raven, in order to avert they suspicion. They spend time at the Raven. Yeah. Well, and well, I remember like they live downstairs. Remember, Skanky went down and almost found them. Do you think all of them live there? Not all of them, but a significant okay. number of them. Enough of them that if they were all out murdering and vampiring every oh, night. Oh, yes. There's enough living in the city. Yeah. I, I was just uh, being picky about the term live there. I was thinking more congregate there. Yeah. What I'm getting at is there has to be a workaround or we would have been found out. Right. And I don't think they can bite somebody and not take it all. But you can. That's not the only way you can get blood from somebody. Right. And I, yes, I think Nick's chief objection is moral because he was like, cool, a vintage. Is it human? It's literally like, does it contain eggs, milk, right. it, or it probably animal byproducts? Like the the extra, I don't know, emotional volatility that you get when you drink human blood. Yeah. And okay, I drink human blood. 
probably makes it real, real hard to like when you're really hungry, draw the line on, oh, well, I'll right. just, where's I'll just the bite line? this one person. Right. Where's the line? For Nick, that's the question is, if I slip even a little bit, where does it stop? Because he knows line? how far he can fall. Right. And Jeanette doesn't give a shit how far she can fall. <laughs> Maybe Jeanette can actually restrain herself. Yeah. And so she has the luxury of enjoying the more humane option. Well, she doesn't care if she makes a mistake, right? So she's been willing to fail more often than Nick. That's true. So one of the hallmarks of failure is it's a very good teacher. And if you're right. afraid of it, you can't use it as an instruction tool. And so Nick has been a Whereas, terrified well, of failure. And I think Nick has more of an appreciation of the value of what gets lost yeah. when a mistake is made. Right. Whereas for Jeanette, it's like... Oh, it was just one little human. I would also like to note that Jeanette is also wearing a vest. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lace vest that is brought together in the front by these little lacy ties. But it's a and vest. And not much else. It's a vest. Who? I'm sorry. Who? Who was in charge of the wardrobe for this season? Because they were like, listen, guys. They just put, they put up like a, you know, a vision board. And it was just covered in vests. And everyone's like, do you think that's metaphorical? <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, it's metaphorical. It's fine. And then literally they everyone was wearing vests. They were invested in the costumes. <laughs> so but after Nick says no to Jeanette's special vintage, she's like, well, then why the fuck are you here? And he's like, well, I was asking about, you know, maybe I could find Aristotle. And she's like, oh, Aristotle, huh? Is it? Is it that time already? Are you are you moving on? And he's like, no, you'd miss me. And then he kisses her. This whole interaction is really cute. And then he kisses her again longer. Yeah. Right before he leaves. And she looks very flustered. Yeah. And then he's like, thanks. And he like makes out with her and leaves. And she goes, you're welcome. <laughs> like, whoo. <laughs> that was titillating. <laughs> nice little pick me up before nice she starts drinking. Right. And then we go back to another flashback. And this is kind of the context for the earlier flashback where we find out that Catherine was driving. She got knocked out in her car. Somebody kept the car on and closed the garage doors and they were planning to asphyxiate her. And we get the follow through where Nick vamp out, pulls up this garage door. And then he's like, hey, your secretary figured out what I am, but you didn't. But she's the help, so I kind of don't want her to know what I am. So I'm going to go ahead and you, you know what they're like. So I'm going to go ahead and erase her memory. And then I'm going to tell Catherine all about what I am. And he's hanging out with Natalie while he's talking about this. And I don't, I would love to know what was in the writer and the director and the showrunners' minds about what they thought Nick and Natalie's relationship was going to be like. Because to me, it feels like that guy that you have a hopeless crush on and you both know you have a hopeless crush on him, but he doesn't feel the same way. This comes up a lot in the Discord. It does. Because Rachel has a lot to say about this. <laughs> it feels hard for Natalie. And Catherine Disher is a beautiful woman and she deserved as much sort of feminine attention as is paid to Jeanette. And it just isn't there. And it kind of ends up feeling like they did her dirty. 
because she's she makes this meal. He doesn't cook. So she makes a meal for them. She has wine for herself and she pours a glass of blood for him. She lights candles. They're eating at his house. They're talking about something meaningful to both of them. He is talking to her and she's like, oh, that was really sweet. Like you you let her know what you were. You weren't worried about her safety or worried about anything. And he's like, no, you know, sometimes you just, you find people that you yeah. want to share yourself with. And once you share yourself with them, you never do, you may never get a closer relationship. You yeah. always keep them in the friend zone forever and ever. <laughs> well, he says this really meaningful, like they kind of become soul friends. And then he like reaches over and touches her hair. And she gives him this look like, <sighs> it's just really like, okay, maybe we're making progress. I mean, he's not going to eat the steak I made for him, but. I'm here. I'm trying. Maybe he sees how hard I'm trying. Maybe this means that eventually we'll mean more to each other. And I want to know, are we going for the the only reason he is not as touchy-feely with her as he is with everybody else is because he loves her so much or because he doesn't want to lead her on? Because it feels like Nick will make out with literally anything with two X chromosomes that walks in his proximity except natalie so anyway i'm just gonna what this is the third plate on the table that we have set for tonight for discussion and it is the what the fuck was up with nick and nat's relationship and what did they want us to get from it because i know what i'm getting from it and i want to know if that's what i'm supposed to be getting from it so if any of the showrunners are still alive i'd love to hear about that <clears throat> we have an instagram we have an instagram <laughs> Um, but we kind of figure out now that, like, he helped them move on because her life was in danger. And he didn't want to see. It was easier to lose her knowing she was going to live a full life than it was to lose her to death. And this is when he kind of explains it to her, like, I think you need to move on. I think you need to, like, get a new life. You need to just mail in a proxy and vote every once in a while, arrange to have it sent from different places, uh, because dreams are portable. If she chooses to go, it can be arranged. But if I disappear, Stanton will have won. Not necessarily. Gordon left you with 51% ownership of the company. Yours is the deciding vote. Each year, mail in a proxy. Arrange to have it sent from a different part of the country, of the world, so it can't be traced. As long as your signature can be verified, Stanton can't assume control. I used to dream of having a family. With Gordon gone. Dreams are portable, Catherine. I carry mine with me. And you can take them with you anywhere you want to go. And she's like, fine, I don't have anything holding me here. I mean, I got nothing. Except my spite against Stanton. Yeah, yeah. but you're right. Because if this is taking place in, let's say this is like 1955. And now the events of this episode are taking place in 1995. So for 40 years, this woman held on to the controlling stock of this company while ghosting this man and just fucking off around the globe doing whatever she point, wanted. To the point that his like sole purpose in life was to eliminate 
Catherine Barrington. That's why I'm saying she is a petty queen icon. 40 years she committed to this spite. Oh, you thought you were going to get the company? Think again, motherfucker. You get you the only right, thing like you her, get her quarterly or annual act of spite. The only thing you get is what I give you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a no vote. And that's a no vote. Anytime it's going to benefit you. Meanwhile, I'm going to keep pulling a check, a nice big check, because I rebought that Auburn. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> but Skanky calls Nick at home and because Ava is dead. And Skanky gets kind of a sad line. Skanky's sort of in the background for this whole episode, but he gets a couple of lines. And one of them is he's like, I guess I believe you now, Ava. Yep. Because she's dead. Because he goes to the scene and there's not much to note. I mean, she she died and it was sad. And we don't even see her like autopsy or anything. It's just kind of like, well, she died from a gunshot wound. So guess it's related. And Nick is like, well, I know the perfect solution to this. I'm going to go confront Jeremy Stanton at his office. And Skanky's just like, oh, my God. I know this entire episode, Skanky's like, oh, why am I doing all of the work on this group project? <laughs> and my partner is just yeah. fucking off. It's literally like they got a group project where they had to do like a word, like an Excel spreadsheet, and they had to export it as different types of graphs, right? And so the one guy's putting all the data in and figuring out how to make a bar graph and a pie chart and all that stuff from in Excel. Meanwhile, the other partner is trying to directly call Bill Gates to see if he can talk to him about Excel. <laughs> that is exactly, that's a perfect analogy for what's happening. Because Kanky's like, what are you talking about? What is happening in your mind right now? And Nick is like, my mind is an enigma. <laughs> like, I you know what it is? There's a scene. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. <laughs> There's a scene in SpongeBob that I think about a lot. And um, SpongeBob is talking to Patrick and he goes, what goes on in your mind? And Patrick goes, my mind is an enigma. And then it zooms out and there's like a thought bubble. And it's literally a table with a container of milk. And the milk flips over and milk starts coming out the top of the milk container. And that's it. That's like the scene. <laughs> so that's what's happening right now. <laughs> my mind is an enigma. <laughs> Poor skanky. And so Nick actually goes and confronts Jeremy, like, at his office. And so he shows up and Jeremy's like, hey, um, You look hi, familiar. Hi, random cop who showed up at my door. And Nick's like, you killed her and I know you killed her. And he's like, okay, sorry, hang on. Can you walk that back? What are we talking about? <clears throat> I don't know anything about what you're talking about. But you'll be hearing from my lawyer. And so he kicks him out. <laughs> and we find out that Catherine just voted no. On this huge merger With that would have a Japanese company that would have earned Jeremy half a billion dollars, which you can just about multiply by three anything happening back in 1990 if you want today's dollars. So that's about a billion and a half dollar commission he would have earned. And Catherine was like, No, motherfucker, no. Again, no. <laughs> I don't care what it would have earned me. I don't give a shit. I'm going to keep voting no every time it will benefit you because I hate you. 
and I still hate you. And I am so fucking petty. I'm going to hold on to this 51% for 40 years just to know it makes you upset. I respect that. I deeply respect this. I would do that. It's fine. I get it. Oh, yeah. I've listened to Rachel get on the phone when she's upset. Mm. <laughs> so Jeanette calls. She calls Nick because Aristotle has agreed to meet with him. And she's like at her leisure. She's lounging on a couch. She's ditched the vest for something else. And she's still holding her bottle. She's got like the bottle clutched to her chest. And there's a fire burning in the background. And she's just like. She's cozy. Night. Aristotle says that he will see you. Thanks. I owe you. And I assure you, I will collect. Nick's like, yeah, I'm counting on it. I'll be there Thursday. <laughs> it's fine, I'm counting on it. And so then we go be Aristotle, who is Matt as a vampire. <laughs> Not exactly. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. He's pithy. He's fast. He's the fastest dialogue deliverer we've met. He is like on it. And everything that he says is funny and layered in innuendo. Well, thank you for the analogy. You're welcome. <laughs> and he's surrounded by computers because he can hack it. <laughs> <laughs> he's hacking away when we show up. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, it's just, they were literally like, what makes a super powered computer? I don't know, a bunch of monitors? <laughs> Five screens. Five screens. Just throw that shit up on the desk. What are they displaying? No one cares what they're displaying. It doesn't matter. They just need to have something on them. Just put them up. And he has to be (laughs) typing away. (laughs) (laughs) Because typing speed is really important when like 99% of your day-to-day work is thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not for him because he doesn't, he just like hacks, he hacks into all of these different <laughs> systems. What did he do or before? Did he like mail off letters? Did he send people out break he would, in? He would sneak in in the middle of the night, open the filing cabinets and either insert forged documents or remove problematic documents. Maybe he hired people to do that because that feels like a lot of hands-on business. Because he even forged how many cookies Madeline sold as a girl guide. Because all those records that Skanky had were the ones that Nick paid good money for. But I thought those were actually Madeline's. No, they were Natasha's. Oh, those were Natasha's. Yeah. He's thorough. He's thorough. Nobody ever, nobody, and this is notable, nobody ever knows Madeline and Catherine's real identities. Like maybe Catherine's later and maybe Madeline's later, but during the investigation, during the episode, they are the people that Aristotle created for them. So she is Madame Natasha. And I don't think we ever even find out what Catherine Berenger's fake name is. No, I don't think we do. No. Barrington? Why am I saying Berenger? Do we know? I, I don't know why you just keep saying Berenger. I don't know. Anyway, so Nick shows up in this basement. And we have kind of an overlap of modern times in flashback here because he walks in and Aristotle's like, oh, Nicky boy, is it time again already? Nicholas, is it time already? Stay away from the States. They might take you for a comment. Not for me, Aristotle. I need a favor. And then we cut to a flashback of Nick arriving in the same basement, but the technology is a little more antiquated. Um, 
it's like typewriters. Yeah, I mean, obviously. And so he comes by and he literally says the same thing. He goes, hey, Nikki boy, is it time again already? And then he's like, don't go to the States. They'll take you for a commie. <laughs> That's a reference to False Witness, where our flashback was how Nick got caught up in the McCarthy trials and put on trial for communism. There's mom. Uh, I caught that. Thanks. Thanks, Aristotle. Um, he has quite a few just really pithy wham, wham, wham things that he says that are really funny. And just, you know, go back, listen to him. He even mentions the enforcers. Right. He's like, oh, man, we're going to have the enforcers on my tail. I know tail, Rachel on my was tail. in the middle of writing a note, and I was like, he just mentioned the enforcers. <laughs> oh, my God, we referenced a previous episode. What the shit? I think Aristotle might be the very first person that does that. And he says that, um, and Nick goes, He's yeah. He's definitely the first person to use the name enforcers. Yeah. And Nick goes, yeah, but think of what's at stake. And Aristotle goes, yeah, stake. you and me at the stake, both of us together on one big long pole like a shish kebab. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick says, uh, you owe me for the Battle of Hastings, which took place 200 years before you were born, Nick. Um. Vampire born. Yeah. The Battle of Hastings is 1066. Yeah. It would have been 220 years before he was turned into a vampire. So pretty close to. Uh, Well, the Battle of Hastings is 1028. And as we know, he was brought across. Oh, sorry. 1066. I was was prepping for the next sentence. Um, He was brought across in 1228. And the Battle of Hastings oh. is 1066. So even if he was 30 when he was born, he still That's wouldn't have been born until 1198. Years. So, yeah, yeah, he wasn't there at the Battle of Hastings. Somebody needed to Google. But he does mention Before the Inquisition. Google existed. He does mention the Inquisition, which we don't know this yet, but Nick was caught up in the Inquisition. So that makes sense. You keep making all these spoiler references, <laughs> and I thought you had made a commitment to a spoiler listen, life. Listen, listen. All you have to do is just think of a improbable historic event and ask yourself, was Nick there for that? And the answer is probably yes. So that's not a spoiler. That's just continuing the theme as you have gotten very good at picking out how they continue the themes because pretty soon we get to the part where matt absolutely called the next part of the episode and i lost my shit it was so funny but what nick is here for is to figure out where she went and so he's trying to get aristotle to tell him where she went and aristotle's like no and nick's like you're the detective yeah nick's like but we're bros and aristotle's like and I, that's why I wouldn't tell anybody where you were either. You're welcome. You're the detective. You figure that shit out. And he gets nowhere with Aristotle. He just leaves. And, <laughs> and so Nick is like, oh, where could she have possibly gone? How am I going to figure this out? Maybe my two foot by four foot photo of her will help me with this. <laughs> That'd be... Doesn't he have this in his apartment? Yeah, he has it at home in his apartment, like on because that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, well, Natalie's there, so it's like it's at the. It's kind of work. It's it's a work work. outing. It's a work outing, but we find out that the hired killer knows where Catherine is. So (gasps) now it's a race because Ava gave it away because Ava was the go-between, and she's been the one who's been doing all the dead drops for the votes. For the proxy stuff. And so she knew where Catherine was, and now they know where Catherine is. 
And the hired killer is talking directly to Jeremy. So in case we hadn't figured it out yet, Jeremy actually is the bad guy. And he had hired the hired killer dude. Uh, And so Nick is like, how can I ever figure this out? And then in the silhouette of the potted plant or whatever, he sees a familiar hood ornament. A shadow. So thank God somebody backlit the car so that the shadow would show up on the wall because otherwise he would never would have found her and she would have died because it is the auburn silhouette and so he realizes that she rebought the car after he made her leave it behind to start her new life and then we the viewer get a chance to see Catherine as she is now and she's at a dance hall and i think she has the same hairstylist as natalie who believes that your side part should start somewhere above your left ear Because Mm -hmm. that's exactly what's happening here. She's here with her friend George, who is her beau, her husband, actually. They're married. Which, good for her, for finding love. And he actually mentions, like, oh, are you going to tell me some about your mysterious past? She's like, nope, no, I'm not. Did you know I met a vampire one time? He's like, oh, God, Catherine, not again. Just kidding. (laughs) And so we're back at the precinct. And Skanky, for some reason, is looking up the information about Auburns that are still registered in Toronto. Because he's the one typing at the computer and Nick is leaning on the desk. Well, Nick obviously fed him that information. No, I mean, he's making him do it for him. Oh, he's making Skanky He's literally like, Skanky, I need to look these up, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to use the computer. Can you do it for me? And Skanky was like, oh my fucking God, yes, fine. And so he walked over and was looking it up. Thank you for shutting up about Stanton. This is a horrible idea, but at least it's not about Stanton. He's like, oh, no, it still is. It it still is. (laughs) And so he's like, this is going to get us all canned. Like, I can't believe you're doing this. And so he ends up, like, he's looking it up, and Cohen walks over, and she's like, does anybody want to explain why I just got a really nasty call from Jeremy Stanton's lawyers? And Skanky is like, I just want you to know that I'm doing everything by the book. I'm doing exactly what I need to do. I am crossing all my T's. I am dotting all my I's. And she's like, shut up, Skanky. I'm talking to the hot one. And she just looks over at me. It's just just like, whatever you have on it must be good. (laughs) Skanky's like, what does he have on him? Nothing. He has nothing. He has nothing. And Skanky's just like, oh, God. Oh, God. Why am I in between this? But he. He, he does find out that there are two Auburns still registered in Toronto. One is in a museum and one is registered to a, we don't know. Nick grabs the piece of paper and runs no, off. No, no. Yeah. But the hitman follows Nick because Nick tipped his hat. He tipped his cards when he went to see Jeremy. And so now that the hitman's really kind of done his job, he's given Jeremy the location of Catherine and Catherine wants to kill Jeremy. Jeremy wants to kill Catherine himself because she has been such a giant pain in his ass for the last 40 years. He wants to just, he wants to be the one that does it. And so the hitman is following Nick and Matt goes, Betty pulls over into a, sorry, <laughs> Betty pulls over to an alleyway and then gets out of the car and hides so he can like get this hitman when he pulls into the alley behind him. And I was like, <laughs> You don't know that. <laughs> you don't know that that's what's going to happen. <laughs> sure as shit, he really does do that. He does the alley fly ambush move patented. The Nick patented swerve into somewhere <laughs> unexpected, fly off, and then ambush the guy move. 
<laughs> this guy is wearing. Okay, first he has a dangly earring, but only in one ear. This is our hitman, and this is the most we've like physically interacted you know he's with him. Edgy. Yeah, this is the most we've physically interacted with him. But he's got one dangly ear, only in one one, and he has a Canadian tuxedo on under his black leather jacket. Oh, really? Yes. Do you know what I mean uh, by Canadian tuxedo? All denim. Yeah, all denim, denim bottom, denim top, and then a black notice that leather jacket over top. <laughs> And it's like a, it's a denim jacket buttoned closed with another jacket on top. It's cold in Canada. <laughs> I bet this is the actor's personal wardrobe. They want me to take this guy seriously. This is the hitman who tortured people to death. He somehow used a garrote to shoot a lady in the back of the head. <laughs> but he's wearing denim on denim under black leather. And he's still wearing his sunglasses. And Nick at night. Nick hits him like once and he's like, I work for Jeremy Stanton. I found Catherine. Here she is. Yes, I killed those two people. What more do you need to know? And, and Nick then is Nick like drops him in the trunk. Yeah, he dumps him in his trunk and then he calls Skanky and he's to like gloat. He's like, Hey, Skanky. So my car is at the corner of this street and this street, and there's a bad guy in the trunk. You think you can come and get it? And Skanky's like, What? He's like, yeah, there's a bad guy in the trunk. He He's a suspect in Madame... No, he calls her Madeline. She's a suspect in Madeline's murder. Or he may have called her Madame, Madame Natasha, but he's like, you need to come and get him and book him. Hello. Yeah, Skank. Yeah, Nick, what's up? My car's in the alley at Winford and Garamond. There's a guy in the trunk. Guy in the trunk? He's a suspect in the murder of Ava Franklin. Maybe Natasha Perry, too. Bring him in and book him, will you? Catherine's in Hamilton. I'm going to get her. But I'm going to this other town because that's where Catherine is. Skanky doesn't know who Catherine is. Nick has made no or probably reference. probably Madeline. Nick has made no reference to Catherine. This is only as, to Natalie. This is as out of the blue as everything else that he's done. He is rogue right now because he beat this dude up, threw him in his trunk, then called Skanky and was like, I'm going to go rescue this lady named Catherine. Normally, Nick is not personally attached to the no. victims. No. And even if he is, he tries a little. We don't try to. This is as leaky as a sieve. They, we do not try to patch Nick any has of these zero holes. Chill. He's just like. Jeremy Stanton did it. He's after this woman. Her name is Catherine, but it's not Catherine right now. I'm not explaining shit. I'll see you later. Because he leaves his car there. He's like, I'm going to this town to go rescue this lady without my car. Because I'm leaving my car here with this dude in the trunk. So I'm going, but you don't need to know how I'm getting there. Okay. Okay. Why would he rather fly than leave his car? Because flying is faster than driving. Oh, no. All right. Oh, this no. gives us a lower bound. Okay. If we want to get just a back of the envelope calculation of how long would it take Nick to fly over the Atlantic Ocean. All right. You know what? You want some cold, hard facts here. Okay. He gives the address when he talks about where his car is located. He gives the two streets. That he is currently at the intersection of. And we know the town that he is going to. And he is going to, I forget what the town's name is, but he's going to like a hall, a town hall. 
So if you could get the approximate dif- distance between the place where his car is located. You could just Google map it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. You can figure out how far that distance is because he travels it in almost no time at all. Because he gets there. Let's say they close about two and he gets this guy about 10-ish. Well, no, probably closer to midnight. It takes him approximately, you know, I don't know. We'd have to Google that, actually, because we don't know what time he nabs the guy, but we know he arrives when they're shutting down the dance hall. Oh, so whenever the end of the event is. Yeah, whenever the end of the event is, that's when he arrives there. So if we estimate an amount of time that it takes him to travel from that corner to that town, it would give you a flight speed. And then you could calculate the approximate amount of time it would take him to fly across the Atlantic Ocean. Is that what you were hoping for there? Yes. You know what? You prep that, have that ready for next week's episode. That's your homework. It, maybe It'll be on Instagram. Oh, yeah. I could put it up on Instagram. What is the airspeed of an unladen vampire? <laughs> an unladen <laughs> Nicola. African or European? <laughs> <laughs> well, he got there around the same time as Jeremy because Catherine's dancing with George. Cause he goes to her house and he does a little detecting, the most investigating he's done this entire episode. He does at her house. He looks over at the refrigerator and there's like, here's where I'm going for my birthday. And it has like a. And today's my and birthday. Today's my birthday. You can tell because there's a flyer over the sink. That says Which happy we birthday. are recording this on May 2nd, and her birthday is May 3rd. Aw, happy almost birthday, Catherine Barrington. Got it. So he leaves. He's like, ha I know where she is. And so he flies off, and he gets there about the same time as Jeremy, because Jeremy confronts Catherine, and he's like, you petty-ass motherfucker. You have voted no against me for 40 years. And she's like, glad to know I was appreciated, Jeremy. <laughs> She's like, what do you want me to do? Apologize? I'm so happy you noticed. I'm so happy you noticed. But don't shoot me because, like, I like my life. And Nick does this, like, vault off the... He could have just landed on the floor. I mean, he could have just gone to the main floor. He didn't have to go up to the balcony. But he, like, leaps off the It's more dramatic if he leaps from the balcony, though. Yes, And he... It's more heroic. He grabs Jeremy's hand and spins him around. And then for the remainder of this scene, we just... Don't put him in the shot. He doesn't subdue him. He doesn't throw him down. He doesn't knock him out. He's literally just... He's squeezing really hard. Holding him while he's talking to Catherine. Because Catherine's like, oh my God, Nicholas. And Nicholas is like... Completely conveying to Stanton that they've known each other for decades. Yeah, while Jeremy is standing right there. Nicholas... Oh, my God. Nicholas, it is you. Hello again, old friend. And she's like, oh, I remember you. Hi, buddy. He's like, hey, old friend. You were there when Gregory died. You were there when Gordon died. What are you Gordon. like? That that was a while ago. Wow, that's 40 years. You look really good. And Jeremy's like... What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> and then we're done. Did he wipe his memory? Is he lucky number? Are we on 17? It's been a while since I've gotten to um, add somebody to the tally. I think he exposed himself to someone last episode or the episode before, and you didn't count it. Mm. So we might be on 18 now. 
Yeah. Well, I'm he's pretty sure we were on sixteen the last time we mentioned it. Yeah. Again, he's he's in the he's in the column of elite people that Nick has exposed himself to and not fucking bothered to erase his memory. Maybe I don't know. The ones that we've memory. seen in the episodes. We haven't yeah. seen all the ones in between the episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Unless we assume that higher. Nick doesn't do anything between the episodes. Given Skanky's behavior in this episode, I think we can safely assume Nick doesn't do anything unless it's in an episode. One case a week. <laughs> but Nick is like, oh, Catherine, you want to come to my place? We can hang out. And so then that's our wrap up. We don't wrap up with Skanky about finding the guy in the car. We don't wrap up with the trial where we put Jeremy on trial for murdering a guy and two women that he literally could not be tied to, except Gordon. He could be cut, tied to Gordon, but that case was closed, like, and there was no evidence. Uh, anyway, um, if you're going to charge him with the murder of the other two women, there was literally, except maybe the confession of the hitman. Right. They probably got a confession out of the hitman and gave yeah. the hitman some leniency. They kind of mentioned, oh, you know, he's in jail now, so he can't profit. And so Nick is like, well, what are you going to do? You, you could have, you know, Barrington Staten Industries. It's yours for the asking. And she's like, meh, sell it. I don't give a shit. I never cared about the business. Just my spite for Jeremy Just Stanton. fucking with Jeremy. She's like, and I'm done. I finally got fucking Jeremy in prison. So I don't care. Whatever. I'm old. I didn't have kids. I'm good to go. It's fine. And they're looking through a picture book. And... That's pretty much how it ends. Them just reminiscing. And yeah, Nick, Nick takes the girl back to his apartment. Nick is more physically affectionate with this random woman than he is with Natalie during the entire episode. And I just want to point that out. And yeah, it's yeah. not our deepest episode. So I, I like this episode. I think I liked it when I was younger because um, he actually meets somebody who recognizes him and knows that he's a vampire, which we don't get very often. I mean, we get people that know he's a vampire because he's like, done <laughs> vampire doesn't shit. doesn't hide it. Um, but not like, oh, you were a friend of mine and we've been apart for a while and now we're back together and you actually get to see the fact that I haven't changed. And he asks her, why did you come back to Toronto? And she's like, I don't know. I'm old. I wanted to come back here. I lived here. I figured I like the danger was gone. It's fine. I, I didn't even know Jeremy Stanton was like still a thing, even though he was on the cover of that magazine or whatever. And I figured, you know, the super powerful dude with almost unlimited resources would really not try to find me at all, even though I was continuously fucking with him for 40 years. Oh, wait, when you say it out loud like that, it's poor skanky. Who lost in this episode? It was skanky. Because the whole episode, Skanky is just like, why are you like this? I feel like that's Skanky's refrain for the next, I don't know, three, four episodes. Why are you like this? Why can't you be like a real partner? He says it several times. He's like, oh, I thought for a second there we were actually partners. Right. Or someone might start to think that we're partners. Yeah. Yeah, poor yeah, Skanky. poor Skanky. Because he just wants, I mean, he... But maybe... Maybe it's the, oh, maybe it's the karma from season one, Skanky. All of his misogynistic and insensitive. Casual sexism. Yeah. Yeah. All his commentary is coming back to bite him now. Hopefully not bite him. Well, bite him figuratively. Metaf it's a metaphorical. Like the vests are metaphorical. Nick, Nick is biting Skanky back. Figuratively. Figuratively. Metaphorically. Yeah. I don't know. There's not a whole lot to like 
wrap up about this episode. I mean, we didn't really investigate the case. Let's just say that out loud. Nick was literally like, I recognize that woman. Nick had insider information. And Skanky was like, oh, who is she? And he was like, I don't know. She just looks familiar. But Jeremy Stanton killed her. Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Skanky's like, okay. um, Why? And Nick was like, the why doesn't matter here, Skanky. The only thing that matters is I know it. I can't explain these kind of yeah. intuitions. It's no, I just I have this. That's how feeling. good of a detective I am. Listen, I'm I'm just like I'm an amenuensis. <laughs> <laughs> I just know these things. I just I have a gift. I can't really control it. He could explain to he could have said to Skanky, like, look, maybe I'm a little bit psychic or Skanky wouldn't have believed him, but at least it would have given him like a oh. plausible deniability. Yeah. Instead of just, what is happening? Who are you? What are you? Why did you come to this conclusion? Who's Catherine? Who's Madeline? What the fuck? Why is there a guy in your trunk? <laughs> <laughs> Where did he come from? Because he's not like, he, he doesn't say me. how he got in the trunk. He's just right. like, he there's just a guy in the him. trunk. Like, I don't know. I opened him. I opened the trunk. He was in there. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, oh, you know, I know something about this murder. And I was like, cool. So I punched him and then shut the trunk. And then I called you. Okay. Called you in. I mean, I guess objectively he gives Skanky this collar. But he still doesn't. They have no way of like proving what put them on this path. Exactly. Yeah, There's they, this. they have no way to explain their lead. Right, and Nick doesn't go to court. He doesn't, he's not the arresting officer who talks at court. Skanky is. So can you imagine poor Skanky having to go in and they're like, okay, so what made you look up Jeremy Stanton in the first place? And he has to be like, well, the crazy lady who thought she was a psychic told me she saw a man with a powerful aura who was six foot tall with broad shoulders. And I realized that that could only be Jeremy Stanton. <laughs> well, and I guess the the backup for that is when Nick went to Stanton's office, Stanton admitted that he'd gone to see Madame Natasha. Yeah, but not like in a in a place where they could like record that right nick probably didn't take any notes right and he didn't like inform him it, not that, like none of no police procedure was followed he literally just showed up and talked to him they didn't call him in to make a statement they didn't nothing it was inspirational what was inspirational uh, nick's investigation <laughs> yeah okay inspirational unhinged is the word i would use (laughs) inspiration this really is just i think it's endemic of the fact that this is really pre-csi this is pre-police procedural this is one of our first televised police procedurals we have like matlock kojak the night stalker we have like the intrepid reporter on the case like the lone wolf intrepid (laughs) we have the lone wolf intrepid reporter that's done we have like MASH, which is like military. That's kind of done. But the who done it, the like one hour long police case where we go from victim to solved isn't really formulated yet. And so they don't have a good blueprint to follow. They also don't give a shit if it makes sense. 
It was Meg referred to these as the holy texts, and we only have so <laughs> we only have so much of the holy text that we just have to keep sifting through to look for for meaning. And um, there was actually a thread on the Facebook group the other day about what episodes people don't like, and this one popped up, and I thought that was interesting. This is not like my favorite, but it's one of those ones that I like to watch pretty frequently, and it's not like not my favorite, but I can kind of see your point where you're like, meh, you know, LaCroix's not in it. Jeanette's really not in it. It's sort of just like Nick wrapping up a loose end from his past in a way right. that it's makes one of him the feel good. Less coherent, I guess, less externally justifiable stories. Yeah. If there is a plot progression at all, it doesn't fit in it. It's a side. It's kind of like 1966. You don't know where that falls. Right, it's all smoke and mirrors. But yeah. All right, well, we have an Instagram. We had 180 followers, and then we went back to 175. And now we're back up to 176. It's the bot pruning. I know. The only thing I can think of is I went a couple days without updating, and the bots were like, no, and they left me, which is fine. I, you bye, know bye, bots. It's okay. Bye, bot, Alicia. I'm happy for every single living, breathing person who's following my Instagram accounts. I really don't care about the numbers. Yeah, that's about it. And I'm down to updating the YouTube channel about once a week because that I find is what I have the energy for <laughs> once a week. And we're kind of working on a secret project. I don't want to call it a secret project. Sort of a secret project. What would you call it a secret project? What project? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking That's about. That's like, it's so secret. I forgot we talked about it. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're I'm drawing working. a blank right now. That's okay. So I, it's I'm, okay. It's fine. I'm doing a good job. That's why I'm the brains of this operation. <laughs> <laughs> and you are the... I'm um, the technical consultant. You are the... Who does none of the technical stuff. Shh. Shh. Matt rolls down here. He talks into a microphone. Then he dips. And then he's like, oh, is it up? Great. <laughs> How did that happen? Magic occurred, and then there was an episode. What are you? You're the friendly face. <laughs> I'm the audience proxy. Yeah, you're the, yes, you're my shill, the audience shill. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, I, it, I don't know. That, that feels like a teaser. It's not really, you know me, my timeline is always slow. So when it comes out, it'll come L out. Like a wizard. Like a wizard. Yes, I'm never late and I'm never early. Um, I arrive precisely when I mean to. That's exactly mm -hmm. it. Um, if you are a member of the Patreon, you might get more updates. Just saying. We've got a Patreon. It's uh, the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. I put a link in the show notes pretty much every time. Now that I figured out how to copy and paste from one show note to the next, <laughs> I put it in all the time. Because <laughs> I get down. I do like, I edit for like two hours. And then I have to type up a summary. And then I have to put in links and for some reason, to me, that feels like a step too far. But I figured out how to copy and put links in. So I'm pretty much streamlined that. I've automated that process. You'd be proud of me. Um, but that about covers it, I guess. We have an Instagram. We have a secret project that's so secret Matt forgot about it. And then we have a Patreon. So that about covers it. <laughs> <laughs> so remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.
You are listening to a Strange and Beautiful Network podcast, a network of shows focusing on unscripted discussions that promote positive but honest engagement with all the weird and wonderful topics that make our hearts happy. I want to take a moment to express my heartfelt gratitude to all our listeners. Your continuous support and engagement mean the world to us. So if you're enjoying the show, make sure to spread the love. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Strange and Beautiful Network to stay updated on the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes peaks, and exclusive content from all our shows. You can also find additional ways to support this show on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash strange and beautiful network. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to bonus episodes, early releases, our Discord channel, and other exciting perks. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.